0: So we're going to talk today about uh, the righteous power that we have in Christ and the wonder that he has achieved for us. And today we're going to be talking about initiative and unresponsiveness. The righteous power that's summed up in taking initiative and being unresponsive to God in terms of his leading is probably where we become unrighteous Initiative means to start something. When somebody takes the initiative, they begin to do something, they think about something, they begin to do something and and achieve something. So to take an initiative usually means that you take action or you think about something that needs to be done and you begin to make the process or do the process, whatever it is. So righteousness is being born out of God's initiative. When we come to the communion table and we look at that and we think, you know, this is an amazing thing that Jesus would come down and he would die for us, that he would pave a way for us to have salvation, that out of everybody who lived on earth, there was only one who could actually do this for us, and that was Jesus. And he had to be God-man, he couldn't be just man, because if he was just man, he would only pay for his own sins by his own death. So God-man was the representative of humanity, God, because he was perfect in all his ways, didn't need to die And man because he's our, our headship, took the initiative to make a way for us. And so we, we have no other way of getting to Father God. We had no other way of finding a way home to be with him. We were hellbound bound, ready for destruction, created for destruction. By the, the very things that we had thought and by the things that we had done, we had sealed our fate. We had all sinned and all fallen short of the gospel and of, of the glory of God and we were all ready to be chucked into hell. And had we died before Jesus had come or had we died before we'd known about this, we would have all be, we'd be in hell now. We would be waiting for the final judgment and to be thrown headlong into the lake of fire forever to suffer before God. Had not God taken the initiative, he took some action. He did something. And for us, that requires an initiative for us. When God does something, it places the onus on us to respond toward God, to do something about what God has done for us. Unresponsiveness toward the thing that God has done for us is just blatantly evil. To not respond when God has spoken to us is to reject God or to rebel against what God has spoken to us is to, again, to reject God. So unresponsiveness to the voice of God, whether it be through just pure rebellion or just through laziness and not going to do what he wants me to do, is evil in the extent of everything that we understand evil to be. So unresponsiveness to the initiative of God is unrighteousness. And responding to God's initiative, taking initiative with God's initiative, is righteous power in our lives. So whether we are committing sins of omission, we fail to do something, or sins of commission where we do something which we know is wrong, those acts fly in the face of God speaking to us about those acts because none of us sin there ignorantly. We say, oh, well, I don't know. You do know because God has placed within you his Holy Spirit and God has given you a conscience that is cleansed from dead works to serve a living God. And prior to that, he wrote his law in our hearts so that you could register what was right and wrong and you knew what was right and wrong. And when you did sin, you knew you were sinning against right and doing wrong and it registered in you with guilt and you knew that you had done something wrong when it had happened. You were no longer ignorant of the fact. So God's grace is God's initiative. It's called provenient grace. Everybody say provenient grace. Turn to your neighbor and say, prevenient grace. who's Who's heard that? This is the first time you've heard that. Okay, prevenient grace means grace beforehand. Grace that is exercised before you can do anything. Prevenient grace means that God is at work taking an initiative before you are even aware that there is a God and that he is at work. Provenient grace means that God lives in eternity and he looks at your state in eternity and well before you were even born, God decided to take some action to save you. Provenient grace. And then when you were born, (coughs) God began to work on you before you even understood that it was God. I could go through a number of your lives now and I could talk to you about your lives prior to to your conversion. I could talk to you about moments in your life when you were contemplating and thinking about God just out of the blue, Either sitting under a tree and you're contemplating or hitting some situation and thinking there's more to life than the situation that I'm in now. And yet you had no understanding of God or no awareness of God or no sense of that God might be dealing with you. But somehow the dissatisfaction that you had in your spirit at that point of time, that, that vacuum that was achieved inside of you, began to draw you to seek after truth or to seek after God. In some sense, you were drawn by something that you knew not of. Someone had put a dissatisfaction in your life. You, like others, were not satisfied with just filling your cup with the dirt of the world, Something inside of you drew you toward God, made you think about God, made you wonder about God. That is prevenient grace. That is the grace beforehand. That is God calling you before you are even aware of God and making himself known to you, drawing you to himself so that you could respond to him. Because without that, you would never respond to God if God did not invite you and say, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you would not come. You needed to be invited to this place. You needed to be invited to the throne of grace. You needed to be invited to come, and if the Holy Spirit hadn't invited you, you would not respond. It was the invitation of God that opened the door for you to make a choice to turn away from God or turn toward God. Without that invitation, you were dead in your transgressions and sins and you could not be saved. You need to reflect about that. The prevenient grace of God. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 down to 8. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps a good man so For a good a man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us. Notice that. That's the initiative of God. God demonstrates his love toward us. He is taking the initiative and he's saying, I love you and I'm going to show you how I love you now. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, angry and rebellious at God and hating God, Because of our actions and our mind, Christ died for us while we're in that state. Provenient grace. He made a way where there was no way. He opened a door where there was no door. And he motivated you within your spirit to say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, he invited you. He, his grace began to work on you. His, your, the thoughts that tumbled through your minds at different stages were not just random thoughts that were your thoughts. They were his thoughts planted in your mind to create a vacuum in your mind so that you would search after him. He began to bring you across people or put you in situations and stir up your mind with questions and cause your heart to not be satisfied with the things of the world, so that he would draw you to himself. The provenient grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 to 5, says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For grace you have been saved. This is the grace of God grace of God unmerited favor means the he just got an attitude to you that he likes you and he wants you he's got favor toward you and even though you are disgusting in his sight and he hates you he he places hates the sin and he places value on you he looks at the he says my wrath is going to be visited upon this person unless they turn but I love this person and I'll provide a way for them even though if they don't turn I will punish them and there you have the immense love of God providing a way for you he hates the very sins that you're doing and he hates your attitude toward him yet he loves you with an everlasting love and provides a way for you to turn From your sins. God's provision of grace gives us an initiative to enter into his righteousness. So God provides the opportunity. We're told quite clearly in Ephesians, uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, Every man is given a measure of faith. He gives you the ability to exercise faith to him. You couldn't exercise faith without it being given to you. So God implants the ability to exercise faith. And he says, Here, here's the ability to have faith toward God. He gives every man a measure of faith, it says. And in Timothy, he says that God grants people repentance, that they would turn from their wicked ways and come to know them, so that he actually gives you the ability to turn. So he does two things to help your initiative. He gives you something to believe. He gives you something to exercise in terms of your faith. And he gives you a, an ability to turn from sin. Both of those things you couldn't do without him and both of those things provided by his initiative to help you to turn your heart toward him, to have an initiative toward God. Righteousness is summed up in God doing all that he's capable of doing so that you can do all that you are capable of doing. God does 100% of the work so that you then should do 100% of the work as well. You are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work within you to work and to will for his good pleasure. There's this complete commitment of God to produce an opportunity for you and he looks for you to have equal commitment to take the initiative of the opportunity he's giving you. Is it any wonder he says in Revelation that if you're lukewarm, he will vomit you out of his mouth? Because the commitment he has made to you is to produce equal commitment back in you. Initiative in God is righteous. It takes action when God has done something. It steps into what God has done and says, let me continue on with that now. So God is looking... For us to take the initiative. I mean, how does it work? In Romans chapter ten, verse eight, it says, "The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart." That is the word of faith that we preach. So it's not difficult. I mean, you don't have to go searching for this. It's not like it's far away. You know, he, he says just previously, you don't have to climb to the top of the mountain and get this. Nor do you have to go to the depths of the sea. Together, there's no great place where you have to struggle around to try and bring this he says this initiative that God has produced this in your is right near you it's in your mouth right here he says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved it's just that much you don't have to do much it's just that much That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that Jesus is the controller, the master of your life, that everything comes back to him being the center of everything and that he's the one in control and you're you're happy to have him in control and in the center of your life. And as such, you say, you're my Lord. You exercise the faith he places in you to trust him. You exercise the faith that he gives you to believe that he is the one that is going to help you through life. And to put your hand in his, and follow him, and and not to fear tomorrow, because he's the one who's taking you through tomorrow. And that if you Believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead. So it's not just the dead religion. It's not a tombstone that we are following. It's not a shrine that we are erecting. It's a living, vital person who comes to dwell within us and he speaks to us on a daily basis and communes with our heart. So that we are never alone again. Where we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do. There's this dynamic of the risen Christ within you. You hear him. You hear his voice. You speak to him and he speaks to you. You live in communion with him. He is the Lord, the master of your life. You follow him and you confess him as such. And with your heart you believe that he walks through this life a dynamic with you on a daily basis so that you know in a daytime whether you are resisting his will or whether you are going with his will, whether you are fighting his inclination or whether you are agreeing with his inclination, whether you are following his word or whether you are turning from his word. You do not go a single day without knowing that you are with God and God is with you and he is speaking to you and you are either obeying or disobeying. You're aware of his presence, his constant presence within you. Initiative. You see, if he is there and if he is Lord, the initiative is then placed on you to obey. And righteousness is wrapped up in that initiative. Unrighteousness is an unresponsiveness toward him. And righteousness is a willing yielding to him. The initiative is, I will obey. That's going to cost me. I will obey. It's not what I want. I will obey. Why? Because you are my Lord. Where would I be without you? And because you are present with me. God is not in the heavens far away from you. He is present with you, wanting you to follow his direction. Every single day, he's speaking to you. He says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him, will not be put to shame. You trust in him. Like a man trusts in a, in a parachute when he jumps out of a plane. He trusts that the parachute will help him. You trust Jesus. I, look at, I listen to the news and I, and I listen to stuff that's going around in the world today and I am not a very bright person. Okay? I'm not intelligent like some people are intelligent. I usually come to things after the fact, not before the fact, you know. I'm one of the slow ones, you know. Really, seriously, there are some very intelligent people out there, some very smart people who are doing some incredibly smart and wise things and who look and see some very amazing things coming. And I am just a very dull boy, really. And I think about it, you know, I... I, I could be easily convinced of rubbish because I'm easily persuaded by things that I'm seeing. And I am vulnerable, if Jesus is not with me, I am vulnerable to to deception of all kinds. But I trust him. I put my trust in him, in the one who is with me. And I trust that he will guide me. He did not say you have to be bright to get through this, to make it through the end. He did not say you have to have a degree and a great intelligence to be able to discern evil from good. He said, from the least to the greatest, they will know me. And no one will need to teach you because my spirit will be there to help you. I'm glad about that because I'm not real bright. I just need to trust him and his spirit and he will help me get through. I like that a lot. Because I could be deceived by all the stuff that could happen around me. All I need to do is hear his voice. All I need to do is get to know him better. All I need to do is put my hand in his. All I need to do is not worry about tomorrow. All I need to do is make the right choice at the right time. And he's there to help me do that. If I learn to take the initiative of obedience. You see, you... You do yourself a lot of disservice when you disobey Jesus because you set and, mo- and process a pattern of disobedience. And then you start getting hard in your heart. And you go, Why is it? You know? And all of a sudden, it's not so clear anymore. The path becomes foggy. And you start groping in the dark because you're not sure because you switch off the light too often rather than switching it on all the time. Initiative is switch it on and keep it on. Unresponsiveness turns it off and then gropes around in the dark. Oh, I hurt myself. Now I better turn the light back on. What did I trip over? Okay, turn the light off now. I like the darkness rather than the light. That's the problem. Because in the end, when you really need to have clarity of vision, you will have learned not to listen but to walk in your own ways. And there is the problem. Grace defined in the uh, Old Testament is favor. It can be elegance. It's very graceful. It's acceptance. It can be charm. In the New Testament, Strong's gives us this definition of grace. It means graciousness. It means a manner or act directed toward us or by us it says the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. Grace, and that's an interesting definition. It's the divine influence in the heart and its reflection in the life. Here is initiative. It means that when God begins to work in this man's life, he begins to direct his heart And he begins to move his mind and his emotions and the things he feels. He begins to determine things for him and unsettle his life. If he follows the grace of God, it will be reflected in his life. He will begin to do differently, he will act differently. You see, we hear people say, I believe in God, and we look at their lives, and we see no, no noticeable difference from somebody else who says they believe in the devil. They do the same things, they drink the same things, they take the same things, they smoke the same things, they watch the same things, they fight the same way. They have all the evil that everybody else has, except they say, I believe in God. And I had a phone call today from a, from a woman today, and she says, oh, I just wanted to say Happy Father's Day. Oh, I'm not a father, and I thought, well, you know, you got anyway she said just want to say happy father's day and i said how are you going she says i'm fine she says anyway she said you taught me jesus loves me anyway and what she was saying to me by that statement was you know i'm not doing too well i've slipped away from god i've i've gone right away from his i'm not listening to anymore but you told me that god loves me anyway he does love you anyway but if you don't walk after his initiative he will still throw you into hell You see, because he looks for your initiative. The children coming out of the wilderness, you know, you want to think this one through. You're reading it, you just read it through. You go, you know, in the wilderness somewhere and they're making a, a, um, a temple if you're doing the word wise thing. You've got three million people wandering through the wilderness. These people have been taken out of Egypt they saw some amazing things take place absolutely extraordinary things the Dead Sea opened in front of them and they walked, the Red Sea opened in front of them and they walked across on dry ground God destroyed their enemies right behind them three days later he opens up a, a, a rock and just splits the thing in half and, and there's water gushes out for all of them he's he feeding them quails that they can eat to have meat he's just looking after them left right and centre. and every day this manna dribbles down from heaven and they pick it up and it's like wafers and honey he's got, they've got food they've got meat they've got meat they've got water everything they need is being provided for them in the daytime this great cloud follows them and at the night time a fire is there hovering in their midst. they see the manifest presence of God Moses goes up and he talks to God for 40 days and they revert back to their paganism and the worshipping of a cow think about that Is that normal behaviour when such a great initiative? Oh, look, did we see just one amazing sign to get us out of Egypt? Was there just one act that God did to show us how good he was to get us out? No, there was one sign after another sign, one plague after another plague, one plague after another plague, and every one of those plagues didn't touch you. Every one of them touched your enemy and you still forgot who led you out. Initiative. Initiative. God doing all that he can do to save, to establish, to redeem and to wash and to clean and to sort and to to make you something. Doing all that he could do to provide and to lead you and to guide you and to give you good sound morals. Doing all that he could do, possibly do to give you a future and hope and somewhere to go. And so quickly, you forget the initiative of God. Finally, when you come to the, the land that he's been leading you to, and we send spies into the land to see how wonderful the land is that is waiting for us. And they come back, and they have forgotten the initiative of God who brought them out of the wilderness and out of Egypt. And they have forgotten the miracles. And they have forgotten, and rather than having faith in their heart, unbelief takes its seat. And they don't believe that he who brought them this far could take them on. And every one but two dies without seeing the promise. Initiative. We take some time today and reflect on the communion service. To try and set in your mind a picture of the initiative of God to bring you salvation. We slow the whole process down. Why is it so slow? Why is he sitting us here and making us say, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. It's taking so long. It must have been at least five minutes. That he's making us sit and listen to his and talk about Jesus. Okay, we get it, we get it. Okay, Mark, I ate it. Okay, let's get on with this, you know? Stop. If I made you sit for a year saying thank you to Jesus, it still would be too little a time. You will sing praises to Jesus for the rest of your life in eternity once you get there. And it will still not be enough time to thank him for his initiative. In the Philippines, they have this value in there. It's called the tangnala'od. I don't know if you've heard that before. It's the debt of self. Essentially, that's what it means. And in the Filipino culture, you can become indebted to somebody. so if you're in great need and I give you something... I see you in great need and I say, let me help you out. You're in great need. I'll help you out there. And I extend myself to help you out. You may pay back all of the things that I have given you to help you out. It still doesn't pay back. Because the Utangala Ob says it's a debt of self. It, it's like they had a disposition toward you to help you. You can never repay that back because they didn't have to do that. So, no matter what you do, you cannot repay it. It's a debt for life, a debt forever. You are always in their owe. That's an interesting idea, part of a culture. A whole lot of uh, corruption is built around that idea. I give you a favor, now it's my turn to get a favor from you, you know, and you owe me. I helped you, you owe me. And a lot of vice is built around that. But I want you to reflect about this. There's a lot of utangala ob with the card to Jesus, because he didn't have to. But he did. He didn't have to. But he has. And he will continue to. You need to show some initiative. You think that one of the things we struggle with in so many situations in churches is a lack of motivation. Apathy. Apathy. Like a prayer meeting, we, we run into apathy. You know, we want to do something, an outreach, we run into apathy. We want to want a workshop and it becomes apathetic. We want to do something, it doesn't fit with my circle, it doesn't fit with my family, it doesn't fit with my life. We, we run into it and the frustration I feel. Others feel it. You know, If you ever tried to lead people, you would feel the frustration when you tried to get a group of people moving in a direction to do something in God, and you're hit with apathy. It's a terrible, terrible thing, a horrible thing. But you know what apathy is? It's unresponsiveness to an initiative that maybe God is doing. It's as simple as that. Because the Bible says in Psalm 110, my people will be willing on the day of power. They will have initiative. They will get up and get going. The the thing about the early church, and we looked at the early church, and we we think in the book of Acts, it must have been just awesome being part of that first church in Jerusalem. And everybody was bringing their goods. I have an extra block of land. Sell it. I I bring it all to the church now. Look after the people. I think, boy, this is really working here. This is really happening here. Why? Because everybody showed initiative. Everybody got involved. Everybody was doing something. Oh, they weren't doing what Jesus told them to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They were hanging in the group and saying, we've got this stuff happening here with us now. And the Holy Spirit looked and said, yeah, that's all nice, but it's not what I told you to do. I told you to go, to go. And their initiative was slow. So he brought persecution on the church. He smashed the church. He hit the church hard and it scattered the church everywhere. Now you're going. Now you're going. It seems like the church seems to be hit by this lack and passivity. Just, just what? It's just too hard to get going. You know what? We need to spend more time waiting. I like that word, Liz. Waiting on the Lord to renew our strength. Well, I feel apathetic. Wait on God and you'll get some energy to run. Wait on God and you'll get some energy to fly like an eagle. Wait on God and he will change your apathy into something of the vibrance of the Holy Spirit. Take initiative by waiting on God. But does that mean I have to sit and wait? Yes, you probably have to turn off the box or turn off the iPad or put away the phone and spend some time alone with him and learn what it is to have a divine influence on the heart so it can be reflected in the life some of you don't know what it is to feel and sense the presence of God you don't you don't know what it is to be quiet and to be in awe of him as you sit quietly in his presence. Life is too busy for you. you want to do something all the time. Do something, do something, different. And you don't take some time to wait. If you don't wait, you don't hear. If you don't hear, you don't act. Too busy. Grace requires a response from our lives. The influence of God in our heart reflects Requires a reflection in our lives. In Titus, it says it this way, and this is, I love this word when it talks about grace because this shows us that grace is not just some passive nice feeling toward you, that it actually is an instructor, a teacher. Grace actually teaches us. Grace is not just God having some favor on you and think, I like you, you got nice, so I think I'll be nice to you. No, no, grace is an instructor, grace is a teacher, grace is instructing you and you are either responding to grace in the right way or you are responding to grace in the wrong way. He says, "'For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and women,' teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So the grace of God, God's unmerited favor, his favor toward you actually comes to you and sits down and says to you, stop what you are doing. Stop this nonsense now. And the grace of God points to the right direction. Do the right thing now. And then he looks for a reflection in our life. He looks to see if we are going to be stubborn Israelites who will harden our hearts with unbelief or whether we'll be willing to follow his direction in our lives. It's the grace of God that teaches us To say no to ungodliness. It is not the grace of God that says to you, well that's okay, you can sin as much as you like, I'll still forgive you. Should we sin that grace should abound? God forbid God's grace is there, his unmerited favor is there in that he is speaking to you. If he were to take his presence away from you, you would feel no guilt. You would feel no constraint. You would cast off restraint and run to do the evil. It is the grace of God that stands between you and sin and says, "Do not do this." You ought not to turn your face to the grace of God and say, I wish I never felt so much conflict about this. Why can't I just go and do what everybody else, everybody else does this. Why do I have to feel like it's wrong for me? Stop. If you still feel it's wrong and everybody else thinks it's right, the grace of God is still there. Take the initiative to obey him. Just because everybody jumps off the cliff like a lemming, you don't have to. And if your conscience is still enough to hear him say to you, stop, thank God that your conscience is still alive enough to hear him say it's wrong. Because your friends don't think it's wrong. And this world certainly doesn't think it's wrong. And everywhere you go and look, everybody else will tell you what's right. You must be the weirdest person left on the earth. Are you the last one that can hear God speak? Stop it. You need to stop it now. And you need to follow me in obedience. I want to reflect on that somewhat. Your communion time should be reflective of the fact that his presence is there with you. Don't struggle with your conscience. Don't struggle with somebody who tells you what you're doing is wrong. It's the grace of God trying to teach you. It says if you take the initiative now and obey, you'll still get into the promised land. If you take the initiative and obey, I'll lead you right through. But if you harden your heart and you turn against me, you will not follow, so you will not get there. Because only those who follow me go to where I am. My sheep hear my voice. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19 to 21 says these words, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of the Lord stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. I mean, He does. He knows. He knows whether you are His. He knows, and we don't sometimes know whether we are His. We sometimes wish that we were His, but sometimes we see within us such evil and such despairing wickedness, and we think to ourselves, Am I really born of God, and yet I feel so anti-God at times you may feel that at times temptation crowds your mind and 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 blurs your vision and you think am I really saved how can I be saved when I feel such temptation you can be still saved and feel some temptation Jesus felt a lot of temptation in the garden but he didn't yield to it you know but it, he was still okay with God it's just something he was going through God knows now, do you believe that you are his and he is yours? Have you made that confession that Jesus is Lord? I don't care what you feel like today under the tor- torment and the, and the pressure that the devil has opened up on you. Do you believe that when you ask Jesus to come into your life and take control of your life, that took place and that he's alive and that he's with you? Irrespective of what you're going through, irrespective of the trial that's in front of you, irrespective of the darkness that, that, that covers your life, do you just believe that Jesus is in there with you in that dark time? God knows those who are his. Job knew he was God's and God was his, and nothing could separate him. He sat on an ash pile. His wife said to his best friend said to him, Curse God and die. And he sat there and he says, ah, can I take good from the hand of God and bad from the hand of God? God is my salvation, God is my all. Naked I came into the world and naked I leave. I'm not quitting on God. Didn't matter what he was going through. It didn't matter the darkness of the temptation. It didn't matter the darkness of the trial. He knew that he was God's and God. Do you know that? Are you convinced of that? Because there's going to be some black times coming that you will not even be able to fathom the death of the darkness that is going to come and overpour upon your life. I want to tell you now, unless you got your hand firmly in Jesus, you will not know where you are going and you will not know what's going to happen. Everything that will open up, if the Lord tarries and you survive, go into this thing, it will deceive many. You'll be lured and convinced to think something else. There'll be one thing that will hold you I don't know. I'm not that bright. I just got Jesus by the hand. I've just learned to walk with him day after day. And what I see that's coming across the news. And what I see happening around me boggles my mind and completely convinces me that maybe God is not real, but I can't because I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed him. I've learned to trust him. I've learned to put my hand in him. I've learned to believe in him. I've learned to call him by name. And even though I don't understand what I'm seeing, I'm hanging on to you, Jesus. In the midst of it, I'm hanging on. Don't play with sin. Because that will blur your vision and you will lose touch and then you might find that you're gripping in the darkness, looking for the hand that you had let go. The solid foundation says God stands. He says, he, he says the Lord knows those who let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Why is that? It's not the fact that he doesn't know you. You need to know him. And the way you know him is to depart from iniquity. To turn away from sin. Whatever that looks to you like. Whether it's something as silly as obeying your mother when she says, Obey me. And you think, Oh, I'm going to fight you. Well, that's just stupid because iniquity looks like fighting with your mum when the word of God says, obey your mother. Whatever it looks like. when The spirit of God says, turn the music off. It's not doing you any good. Come into my word and drink and eat of my word. You go, well, I want to listen to this music. That's my favorite song. That's just stupid. Those who are called of God turn away from iniquity. If there's a question on the inside that's raised by his spirit, if your spirit is not comfortable with a course and someone inside of you is saying to you, this is not the pathway, listen and turn from iniquity. Whatever that iniquity is. If it's the thought that's going through your mind that is lustful and he says, stop that thinking, immediately respond to him, Jesus, I've got your hand, you're speaking to me and i switch my mind to you. why do you do that because you want to affirm something and you want to affirm it before the the storm comes before the terrible times come you want to affirm something Lord not only that I am yours but you are mine and I'm here in you and I might not be that bright but I'm trusting you and you will lead me through into the promised land if I just trust and keep my hand in yours I don't want to ever let your hand go so, what that means is when Jesus says to you to do something, you do it first. You don't turn away from him and say, oh, I'll just do what I want to do here and then come back to God. No, 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 no. You let go of his hand, calamity may come round the corner and, and you'll be groping looking for his hand. What does it say? But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honour and some for dishonour. He says, therefore, let everyone cleanse himself from the latter. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honour, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see, the initiative for you, my friend, and for me, is not to try and get to God. It's to stay with God. God did all the initiative to draw you to himself, to get you to the place where you could have union with him, now your initiative is to stay in connection with him, to stay with him and to keep your hand in his hand and to turn away from the things that are going to take you away from him. Beware, brethren, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, he says. But exhort one another daily because it's a daily... It's a daily mess. It's a daily mess. He says, get in touch with one another on a daily basis and try and encourage each other on a daily basis because the devil's out on a daily basis trying to separate you from God. And he tells you the secret of the connection. Today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sins, will we become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Oh, wait. Listen. We become partakers of Christ if, if, We hold the beginning of our confidence. Jesus, come into my life. You are Lord. You're the center. You're the controller. I give my life to you. I confess you with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God's raised from the dead. You clothe me with righteousness. I am now righteous in your son. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. If I hold to the beginning and I walk with my hand in his, there's constancy and security if I hold the beginning the confidence where it all began oh there's something very deceitful about little sins we think Jesus will always forgive us Jesus will always forgive us he will always forgive us if we confess our sins he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness He says, I write these things to you, young children, that you do not sin. Yes, we, if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, but my desire is that you don't sin because that's putting your hand in the hand of Jesus and saying, you know what? You want me to clothe myself in unrighteousness? Whatever that unrighteous looks look like if it looks like lustful thoughts, if it looks like disobedience to my parents, if it looks like carnal thinking of any kind, I'm not taking my hand out of the hand of Jesus. I'm refusing the flesh and I'm saying yes to the Spirit. And I'm doing that because I'm practicing so that in the times of difficulty, I will know where his hand is and I will follow him wherever he leads me. Today, he says, If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And he's talking about the children of Israel. You see, they kept on hardening their hearts. They kept on hardening. Oh, yes, they ate the manna. Oh, yes, they ate the quails. Oh, yes, they drank from the water that gushed out of the rock. Oh, yes, they saw the cloud. Yes, they saw the fire. Yes, they saw the victory of God left and right as they were led through the wilderness. They felt the the security of being in God. But because they hardened their hearts, when it came time to make a choice to walk into what God had for them, they failed to make the right choice because they had kept on practicing wickedness. Sin will kill you. Whatever that looks like in you, and the Holy Spirit will tell you what that looks like. It will kill you. Sin needs to be dealt with. It's the grace of God that teaches us today is to say no to sin. Friends, that's it. What else can I say to you? I'm not here speaking to you as a man who wants to achieve anything in terms of build a church the size of whatever i'm talking to you as a man just like you are who recognize that these terrible times times that we are coming require from us a relationship with god that is far greater than the pressure of the world oh the iniquity abounds in this world and where the iniquity abounds the love of most will grow cold you will love sin more than you love him you will love the wicked music the godless music more than you will love Jesus you will love the wrong movies and the wrong novels the wrong sort of education more than you love Jesus you will love everything else but you won't love him because the love of most will grow cold many will fall away and I can't stop that because it's not my initiative to save you it's your initiative to save yourself he says to us but he who overcomes he who overcomes will be saved overcoming is your initiative exercised in obedience obeying God rather than the flesh simple as that I can't be there for Heike can't stand in front of him and say no Heike don't don't do this I can't be there for Phil make him to choose between the two right and the wrong when he knows inside waits for me to leave and then chooses the wrong I can't be there for him I can't be there for Bella and say you know he is a godly I can't be there I don't need to be there, though. Why, who's there? The Holy Spirit said, I will live with you, and I will be in you. Listen to me now. That's the initiative now. I have done everything I possibly can, says God, to bring you to a place where you can be saved. I have opened the pathway. I have opened the doorway. I have committed myself to walk with you by my spirit. It's your turn now. It's your turn to take the initiative. Will you leave your sin and follow me? Will you put your hand in mine and walk with me and change your life from sinfulness to sinlessness? That's up to you. The Lord knows those who are his. And those who are his cleanse themselves from the stuff that is wrong. That in the end is all that's going to make a difference for you. We will all die soon. Every one of us will die soon. We are not permanently fixed here, but we are immortal <coughs> and we will stand before God one day, meeting our friend who we followed, or shame-faced, knowing we should have listened more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the pungentness of your word, the strength of your word, Father and the earnest yearning of your Holy Spirit to lead us from where we are into a place of beauty and wonder in you, Lord Jesus. A place where when we wait upon you, Lord Jesus, you convince us of our need to lay our lives again before you in complete humility and say, Lord, without you we can do nothing. We need you every minute of every day, Lord Jesus. We need you to help us. We need you in every circumstance to help us to think through The maze. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now. We recognize, Father, that you are our only hope. You are our salvation, Jesus. And Lord, we don't want to abuse that. We don't want to dismiss that. We don't want to tread on that as though we're treading on the work that you did, Jesus, with our wicked feet. We want to cherish that. We want that to sort of change our lives, Father, so that we will always take the initiative of obedience. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Now, as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm conscious that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to some of you. And it's like, in, the, in a sense, it's like he's bringing you to a con- point of confrontation with yourself. You know that you have been determining to follow your own path. And clearly you've been walking away from what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. You just fight with him all the time. You're aware of it, but you're just not willing to yield right now. For those who are struggling in this sense, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you particularly that God would bear through in your life and you would come to a sense of it's time to stop the games, and to follow hard after Jesus. Raise your hand if that's where you're at. Now I want you to stand, please. I want you those who raise their hands, I want you to stand. I'm not making this easy for you, because I don't think it's good to be, have it easy for you. I want you to stand in your seat if you've made that commitment to Jesus. <clears throat> now I'm just going to pray for you and ask God to touch you. Lord Jesus, this is September, the year is nearly over and you're coming back soon. These ones who have stood, Father, have said to you, it's not right in their heart, Lord, that they're not obeying you as often as they should. They're conscious of you, Lord Jesus, but they're conscious they are hardening their heart to you at times. And Father, I would pray for them right now, that you would so speak into their lives by your Holy Spirit, that they would have such a hatred for sin come over themselves, Lord Jesus, and such a fear of you, Lord Jesus, that they would turn away from the things that are luring them, Father, and turn toward you with both hands, grasping you, Jesus, and saying, Help me, Jesus, every day. Help me to stay away from the evil and to follow hard after you. Jesus, I pray that you forgive them for their backsliding. Forgive them for their willfulness against you. Cleanse their hearts and start again in their lives, Father, with such a conviction, Lord Jesus, that they are yours and you are theirs, Father, and that they can be conquerors in Jesus' They can say no to ungodliness. They can walk away from sin. They can do the right thing, Father. They can follow you and and follow you successfully day after day after day after day, Lord Jesus. So birth within them the desire to do your will, Father, that they shine like bright lights, Lord Jesus. We ask it in the name of Jesus right now. So touch them, we pray. And Lord, those who haven't responded that should have responded, Father, convict them this week in such a way, Father, that you burn into them, Father, a desire to turn from sin, Father. Lord, and turn to you, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. We thank you for your love for us, Lord. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. God bless you. God keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Walk with Jesus today, tomorrow, and every other day this week. And maybe Jesus will take us home before next week. Wouldn't that be fine? Amen. God bless you.